Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Christian Focus Publications, and we are reading Chapter 7. The hot, crowded days rolled past, and Artemisia was upon them. It was a day when the statue of Artemis would be carried through the streets of the city on a car drawn by fawns, right from the temple in the marshes to the arena on Mount Moran, and the great athletic contest of Artemisia would start. The boys had woke at dawn to the sound of flutes and trumpets and the shouting of the heralds and the thundering of the sculptured drums. No business would be done today. They waited impatiently for Philemon to appear and give orders. He was not in his bedroom, and they found him in the, on the roof, gazing preoccupied out to the sea. He looked weary and old, and there were dark circles under his eyes. When he turned to the eager lads dressed in their best clothes, the look, his look was troubled. Oh, he said, addressing his son and handing him a small wallet, the slaves will attend upon you, and here is the money to enter the games and to buy refreshment. I'm not going today. I'm going back to the school of Tyrannus. Father, Archippus' voice woke in disappointment. You're not coming to the great, the first great day of the games? Surely no one will go and listen to Master Paul today. It is a day of the great procession and sacrifice. Have you forgotten? Philemon smiled. No, I have not forgotten, he said gently. But I cannot come. Perhaps I have no part of these processions and sacrifices. There is another altar, but I don't know yet. I only know that today I must go and listen again. Archippus stood very still, gazing at his father, whom he had loved and admired deeply. It was the first time any rift had come between them. They had been completely one on their aim of building a happy, luxurious home and a prospering in business. But during the past two or three days, Philemon had seemed to care little for business and said nothing about his interview with the merchants. Father, the boy pleaded, Suddenly, this teaching is going to spoil our life. What guide would receive a Christian? Everyone is, is talking about them. They are despised heretics. How should, we, how should we live? We shall live for the eternal, for the things not seen, said Philemon simply. But my son, I do not know yet. If it is true that we can be filled with the very life of the one everlasting God here on earth, then what is wealth or business or anything else compared but that? But how to know whether this is true? I must hear more and learn more, and I have neither time nor heart to attend to these processions. For there, for was there truth or goodness or purity in the temple that night? Archippus grew pale with fear and glanced around to see if the slaves had heard, but they were waiting below, and his father had spoken softly. It was the first time they had been brought up the subject of the visit to the temple and Archippus dared not give voice to his thoughts. He clasped his hands uneasily. Today, he said, I will go and see the games and the processions. Tomorrow, Father, I will come with you to the school of Tyrannus. The boys in Hermas returned at sunset, well pleased with all they had seen, but tired out with the heat and the noise and crowds. The festivals would go on far into the night. The religious fervor increased in frenzy. Onesimus would be gladly have stayed, but Archippus had ordered them home, for he was suffering from mild sunstroke and felt sick and feverish. He had been irritable all day and unusually rude to his slaves. Onesimus 
could gladly have kicked him down the harbor street. Philemon was sitting waiting in the aquarium and had already eaten. He rose up at once and helped his son to bed and took his wine and a sleeping draught. And then he turned to his slaves. Hermas, he said, stay and attend to your young master. Onesimus, I'm going to pay a call, and you will come with me. Onesimus set off behind his master in a thoroughly bad temper. He had had no supper, drunk no wine, and he too was feeling sick and giddy with heat. Where on earth was his master going? The district round the harbor was almost deserted, and everyone was up on the hill in the precincts of the theater. They had reached the poorer quarter of the town, and still Philemon hurried on through the badly lit streets, unsure now of his bearings, hesitating at the turnings. A woman stood in a doorway with a baby in her arms, and Philemon addressed her. Can you direct me to the house of Paul, the tent maker, he asked. She nodded, as though quite used to this request, and pointed to the lighted cottage just opposite. The doorway was low, and Philemon had to stoop to enter. Onesimus followed, scornful and amazed. He was still amazed at the scene that met his eyes. It was all he could do to stop himself from bursting out laughing. Paul the vulnerable, Paul the honored teacher of a new religion, Paul whose name was becoming famous throughout Asia, the learned Jew of Tarsus, was sitting on the floor with his legs in a pit, weaving black goat's hair into the upright loom. On a stool beside him lay a finished scroll, a letter he'd been writing. Cross-legged round him sat his friends, talking earnestly about the, the wine of, above the wine of the shuttle and the clack of the loom. Their faces, pale in the lamplight, were grave, and none of them noticed the new arrival. I have told them, cried Paul, and waving his hands towards the scroll and addressing four cultured scholarly Corinthians who sat close to him, who looked thoroughly out of place in the weaving shed, I have told them that in no uncertain terms that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called, that no flesh shall glory in God's presence. Indeed, I have poured out my heart to them. O Archicus and Stephanus, my sons in Christ, go back and teach them that not by wisdom nor by learning can a man know God or the deep things of God, but by repentance, faith, holiness, and love. Bid them to cease this party strife and to cast out the sin in their midst and to build on one foundation. But Master, said the third man anxiously, what about the questions they asked about church discipline and order? They need to know the answers. I have answered all, Fortunatus, replied Paul, again indicating the, the letter, but it's all to no avail unless they have repented. Though they understand all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, they are nothing. Tell them to follow after love, and then the Spirit will teach them all. O oh, my brothers, the churches in Galatea fell through false doctrine. God forbid the church in Corinth should fall through pride, strife, and uncleanliness. Brother Paul, there's a new arrival. A voice spoke from the back of the room, where another craftsman was feeding the goat hairs into the loom for the tent cloth. His features were unmistakably Jewish, and he moved towards forward into the light and drew Philemon in. Welcome to my humble home, he said, and let the boy come in too. Then seeing Philemon's amazement at being welcomed into a Jewish home, he smiled. There are no barriers here, he said gently. 
Christ has died for all. Peace be unto you. What errand do you come? All eyes were turned onto the, on the handsome Phrygian who stood in the shadow of the doorway, and he answered humbly, I seek for truth. I want to know and worship the true living God. The circle in the lamplight moved up and made room for him, and he sat down near the loom. Onesimus crept to the back where a small boy held the yarn, and Aquila, the weaver, joined them and went quietly on with his work. He was a poor man and could not afford to lose time. You shall find what you seek, said the apostle. God has revealed himself. His light has shone upon our darkness. All of us within this room have seen it. The glory of God has revealed, had been revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. His voice in the weaving shed sounded like a trumpet proclaiming some tremendous dawn. Once again, Onesimus shivered. What had they seen? This company of men with their lifted up faces. What had Stephen seen? He no longer wanted to laugh. He felt almost as afraid as he felt in the temple of Artemis, but this was a different kind of fear. There was a fear of evil. Here was a fear of something else, something before which evil might shrivel up. Then the door of the other end of the weaving shed was open, and a woman with a gentle face looked in. Come, Levi, she said softly, beckoning the little boy. It's time you supped and slept. And the child rose at once and ran to his mother, but not before she had caught sight of the weary child slumped against the wall, and she guessed that he must be the slave of the distinguished newcomer. Recently exiled from Rome with her Jewish husband, Priscilla had seen enough of the slavery in her native capital to make her hate the whole system. And she beckoned, Onesimus to follow little Levi into the living room behind the weaving shed. Have you supped? she asked, smiling. These men, once they start talking, may go on all night. You had better eat this and lie down and sleep. My husband will call you when your master is ready. He drank the buttermilk and ate the barley bread and the goat's cheese, which she gave him, and very gratefully and flung himself down on the pile of skins and was soundly asleep within a moment. And then someone was waking him gently, and he startled up with a fright. Surely he had only just lain down. Then he saw a gray light stealing in from the courtyard, and he knew it was early morning. He was reeling and confused with sleep. Where was he and what had happened? Priscilla, laughing a little, brought a cold water to bathe his face, and her hands were kind like his own mother's. He mumbled his thanks and staggered into the weaving shed and stole a sacred glance at his master. And then the glance woke him up completely. He knew now what had happened. Philemon, too, had seen. There was no one in the room except Paul and Philemon. All the others had long since gone home. But it takes time to bring a man's whole life into the light of God. And the tired apostle looked as though he had fought some great battle and conquered. Philemon suddenly dropped at his feet, and Paul raised his hands over him and blessed him. The Lord bless thee and keep thee, my son, in Christ. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and bring thee to his eternal glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then, somehow they were out in the great deserted streets and Philemon drew his cloak around him for an east wind was blowing down from Mount Paran. He turned the corner in the harbor street and looked seaward towards the fear, the frame of the marble pillars and 
Both caught their breath. All the sunrise was reflected in the still waters of the harbor, and the sea beyond the canal was a line of silver. A corn ship, caught in the dawn wind, had started for the open sea, heading, heeling, heading, heeling towards over leeward, her sails billowing, light as the winds of the bird as they caught the verse rays. His light had shone in our darkness, murmured Philemon, and he stood for a full five minutes watching the beautiful craft setting out so gallantly towards the bright open sea and lands where the sea, the sun sets. The storms would come, but the, but the beginning was, was, was always glorious. Warmed by the glow of his great joy, he quite forgot the shivering young slave who had no cloak. And then he turned and saw him, and a strange compassion he had never known before welled within him. He suddenly remembered that Onesimus had left the house without supper, and all through that glorious never-to-be-forgotten night he had certainly never given a thought to his, to how or where the boy was sleeping. Why should he? The master's comfort was the business of the slave, but the slave's comfort was not the affair of the, of the master. But now, something had happened. He seemed to be seeing the whole world with eyes that had been opened. The colors of the sky were fairer. The scent of the archaea more potent, and the coldness and the weariness of the boy at his side suddenly mattered. Could it be that the love of Christ, mysterious, impeccable, as the coming of the dawn, was already beginning to warm and lighten the deep darkness of his broken hair, heart? He knew, hardly knew, but he spread his cloak round his slave and drew him to his side. Then, thankful that the streets were still completely deserted, they returned home to sleep. And tomorrow will be chapter 8, or Monday will be chapter 8. I love you, and I'm praying for you, and we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye.